On today's pod, we have Dr. Beverly Buzon. Beverly is an alumni of Ryerson, but she's also a faculty member and a recent join to the department. She's just uh, in her youth in her career, yet her wise words remind us that life is merely a stage where we are all actors. And as scenes change in life, it is usually for the right reasons. She always is providing her diverse voice to our department and she reminds us to always be looking for the signal through the static when going through this journey of life. So please lean in and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Beverly Buzon. All right. Welcome back to the pod, everybody. Today, we have Dr. Beverly Buzon, who's going to tell us a little bit about herself. But first, Beverly, what's your role at Ryerson? So right now, I am a limited-term faculty, and I teach one of the profs here in Cambio. Perfect. So your, your job description, you teach how many courses a semester? Or a year, sorry, a year? So I usually teach two to three um, courses per year, per semester, plus I'm teaching summer school, the transition and, course. And you don't necessarily, as part of an LTF, have an active research program. Do you dabble in anything? Yes. I'm hoping that one day uh, I'll be able to get some training. So working in a lab um, with undergrads, actually, here at Ryerson. However, right now, I do collect data. And so the research inside of me says, oh, I miss crunching numbers and all of that. So I do surveys, um, tests on my students trying to collect um, you know, what happens if I do this or that, or where are they standing, what's been good, what's been bad. So all with, all with a pedagogical kind of angle to it, right? Yeah. So hopefully that kind of stuff I can um, turn into an actual research focus. But for now, it's like me doing my preliminary results, seeing what's, what's going on here at Ryerson makes perfect sense and you are kind of an expert about what's going on here at Ryerson. So let's talk about your journey to Ryerson. Uh, where's hometown for you? Hometown is Markham. I was born in Waterloo but I was raised in Markham. Very cool and so you, a little known fact but we're going to share it now, you actually did your undergrad here at Ryerson. So I did. Tell us about why you chose Ryerson as an undergrad. So there were a couple of reasons. What's really interesting is that I didn't get into a science program uh, when I applied from university. I had some, I guess some health issues uh, when I was in high school, which makes it really hard to do well in school, right? I just didn't get it. So I had to reassess what I was gonna do and I actually did nursing for a couple of years. Um, at Ryerson? At Centennial. Actually, okay. it's the Centennial George Brown Ryerson program. Okay. So I did that, decided that I preferred not learning about nursing theory and knowing more about theorems. So how did you transition back? Was it a difficult transition to come back to, to the undergrad in science from nursing? Oh my gosh. So I had been, uh, I didn't do my, uh, sorry, my final year of physics in high school. It had been uh, a number of years since I had actually done some of the courses. I, I was at that point in a very different headspace. And so when I picked Ryerson, and one of the reasons why I picked Ryerson was that A, I was able to get some support from home. 
that was important to me. Be the access center here at Ryerson is actually really good. A lot of other universities don't have the same resources. But what's interesting for me is that uh, I come from a place where I do understand what it's like. And I, I don't know if this is too much information you have to. Um, no, no, this is good. Yeah, but as much, uh, as, as, much as you want to share, don't don't yes. share anything you're not comfortable with. No, so I, and I do talk about it with my students about I guess living with or having been through a mood disorder. And so what it's like having depression and all of that. And I think that it's really important that as professors uh, and instructors, we understand what that's like. Uh, not everyone lives it, but it is an important part of, you know, especially now, I can't even imagine what it's like being an undergrad at this point. And this is this is part of the part of the reason that we've created the podcast too, is so that you know we can share these stories because now more than ever we need to hear these stories because we have to be reminded that we all we are even though we're not having these conversations one on one because it can be because of the situation that we're all in this together. So you Sorry. so you chose you chose Ryerson. I chose uh, Ryerson, and uh, in terms of my transition into it, it was a lot, and I was game. I worked super hard. Oh my gosh. I spent so much time studying because I was interested, right? And I was motivated. And you joined, um, sorry, when you joined Ryerson, you joined the, the which, which program? Biology? Chem-bio. Yeah, biology. Chem -bio. At that point, um, there was no biomedical science or another one. It was just biology, chemistry, and physics. Yeah. For the record, so the people, because they don't see you on this podcast, you're just a young kid. So you're, you're quite fresh while you're not a recent alumni. You're not a longstanding alumni either. It's been, it's been fairly recent. You said physics was a real challenge for you. And, um, yep. do you think that, that, you know, you were a, you had a few years of maturity though, I think when you came back into that universe, did that help in terms of knowing what you wanted? Yes. And so, as I said, I was more motivated. I had a couple of years under my belt of um, being in university. Yeah, I, I knew what I wanted uh, and I knew I wanted to do well. Like I, I enjoyed that. Did you actually do well? Like what would you, how were you as a student when you got to Ryerson in terms of your grades? I ended up pulling A's and A pluses. Uh, did you always have that kind of that was your always your target and you were always driven to do well scholastically or i mean so, you, you said you worked hard but could you have worked a little less hard and got b's <laughs> would that have been acceptable for you so like many students that that do their science degree a lot of them do it because of med school and that was something that i wanted so that comes back to one of my other questions so what did you want to be as a kid did you always want to be you want to be a doctor pediatrician when I learned that there are doctors for kids, that was amazing. I wanted to do that. Yeah. So That's... actually by grade seven, I had planned out uh, my course. Um, so what university to go to, what programs that I needed to be in, what courses I needed to have. I had a very detailed plan up to probably the age of 35. Wow. Yeah. How, how, how has that plan worked out? <laughs> you know, I, and I think that it's one of the things that I like telling my students is that, that, and I do share with them my story. I'm very candid with my students. 
less candid with my fa- with the faculty, but I, I tell them that, you know, it's, it's good to have a plan, but life happens. Life definitely happens. And as much as you want to say, this is what I want to do, it has an unexpected journey that actually I've really, really enjoyed. And you're still a doctor. Beverly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, so let's, let's, let's talk about those transitions. So you yeah. graduate from Ryerson. What happens oh. next in your life? What did you do? So actually, it's really interesting. I, I did really well in school. I mean, part of it to also get into med school. And then after second year, I ended up getting a, a NSERC USRA. And then that introduced me to the world of the lab. Now, I remember thinking when I was younger, I'm like, oh, I really like science, but I could never be a scientist because it's so lonely. <laughs> I'd have to sit there at the bench by myself all day and talk to no one. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's bonkers. Um, so I went to the lab and I loved it. I loved working with my hands, having this open approach and doing, you know, tinkering with things. I loved tinkering. And so because of that, uh, my grades actually dropped in third year because I would rather spend, I did my thesis actually in my third year, and I preferred being in the lab and running Western blots and all of that than sitting down and studying. And who was your thesis with? With Dr. Estable. Okay. Yeah. So because of that, uh, you mentioned this idea of, well, you could work really hard or you could work hard and be happy with whatever, right? With a B. I think that's kind of where I started feeling like, oh, well, if I put my, take my foot off the brake a little bit and not aim for A pluses, they'll be fine because you know what? I love what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's, and that's all, and it's really good to be able to pivot like that and not have the blinders on because there's other, as you said, life happens. And mm-hmm. in, in that happening, there are opportunities that you might enjoy more, but if you never let them happen, you never really know what you enjoy. And so if you didn't know what you enjoy, I guess ultimately you'd never find happiness. Yeah. And so, and so it was really interesting. So I, I ended up wanting to do my master's afterwards. And part of that was because I really liked being in the lab and I looked online, like what are the qualifications that I need to work in the lab? And most of them said master's preferred. All right, then I'll go get my master's. <laughs> you didn't take any time between your undergrad. You just went straight there. And so where uh, did you go? Well, actually, I had a little bit of time. I had one semester off, but that's because I had credits from nursing. So I took half a semester where I was doing part-time. And then I went to McMaster. Why and McMaster? What, what, what drew you to McMaster? that point, U of T was not as familiar with Ryerson students. And Ryerson didn't have as many courses uh, for biochemistry because I specifically wanted to do biochemistry. I really liked working with proteins. I knew that. Um, I actually worked with Dr. Gilbride in fourth year as a research assistant and we did epifluorescence, microscopy, and I was looking at bacteria. I hated counting. <laughs> I hated enumerating. I hated being at the microscope. And no, couldn't do it. I was like, I don't want to count colonies all day. This is not, this isn't for me. Of course, it's different as an undergrad. 
you know, the, what you are supposed to do, what you're forced to do. It's very different. So I decided to go down the bi biochemistry route. U of T wasn't so happy with, or I didn't apply to U of T. And McMaster, I liked their academic focus. It wasn't that far. And what's really interesting is that the PI who I ended up interviewing reached out to me. He was a structural biologist. I remember looking online and thinking, boring, I want to do structural biology. I had heard good things about him, but I wasn't going to do that. And then he reached out to me because he, Dr. Murray Trinop, was an alumni of Ryerson. And I've met Murray because we hosted him on alum, one of our first alumni panels that we did a few years ago. So small world. Yeah, so, full circle. So how was that? So you, you started off on your master's. When did you decide that the PhD was right for you? Oh, that's so. I uh, did my master's, was going to walk away with that, get some skills to get work in the jobs. lab, get, some, get a job, uh, maybe, a, you know, try applying to med school. And in my first year, I was given the opportunity to, to TA. And it was a small course, experimental research and design. I really helped with course development. And that was fantastic. And I wanted that. Um, again, looked at my options afterwards. Uh, what do I want to do? And what are the qualifications that I, I need to have? PhD. In order to teach at the university setting, you need to have a PhD. Like, ah, oh, PhD, that sounds like too much work. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go. I, I actually. Uh, That's was, funny because you, because what you were saying, you're thinking to yourself, oh, that sounds like too much work. I'm going to just apply to med school. <laughs> as, if <laughs> that, as if that's somehow just a matter of fact, easy thing to do. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, in, um, and maybe it is. And maybe it is. But so you, when did you make that transition? It's, it's too much work. Now what? Um, so I, halfway through my master's, yeah, so in my second year, I'm, I'm going to apply to Teachers College. And I was registered, I went to orientation and realized, this is just like nursing theory. I hate this. This is why I left nursing. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Is it because you hate uh, uh, telling people how you feel? No. <laughs> because no, that's I, what we're doing right now. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it was more, I like being challenged. And the content wasn't challenging. One of the things that frustrates me is learning the same content over and over. Even in university, like if I learned about the Krebs cycle, why are you making me learn it again? providing me no additional depth. So I, I just needed to be challenged and it wasn't very challenging. I thought, I can't, I can't do a year of this. This isn't going to happen. And after some uh, internal reflection and all of that, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do my PhD. Actually, there was what, there was a reason. So during my master's, my mom had a stroke. I knew that after school, like I, I wanted to have a family and because she had a stroke, I was not going to have a family until she was better, which gave me a good four years to do something else. Yeah. Like, oh, what am I going to do with four years? I need to do this intrinsically. Something inside of me needs to do this. And I've been trying so hard all my life to make everybody happy. What is it that I want? And it's, it's to do this. 
So I went ahead, did my PhD. To do the PhD, I actually stayed with um, Dr. Jenup. And it was hilarious because I'm, you know, I had written my dissertation, I was waiting for feedback and uh, my master's dissertation. And when I came to this realization, it was candidate day long weekend and I called him. I was like, Murray, I'm so sorry. But if I do my master or my PhD, will you have me? He's like, yes. Oh, okay. I need to do this. So I was pretty happy about that. Now, I stayed in the same lab, but interestingly, Dr. Jenup ended up getting a position at Western University. So my options were, I was two years into my PhD. I had already done my comprehensive exam. Options were to start a new project and start from year one of my PhD at McMaster or go to London. So I went to London. Very cool. So you had a little bit of a change of scenery and you got a little bit farther from home. Yes. Well, much to the chagrin of my partner at the time. I mean, we're married now, but he was not very pleased with my office. He's He's still your partner. That's yeah, uh, you could, so you could call him your husband or your partner. Yes, this, yes. So this does provide context because we don't like to share dates and ages and stuff, but because Murray was here in 2014, I think, as a faculty member at McMaster. So it was in this last five years that you got your PhD. Yeah, I, I got my PhD 2018. Oh, I didn't realize it was that recent. I, for some yeah. reason, I, in my head, I thought it was a few years ago. Okay, so you your PhD was a good decision, obviously, because you love teaching. You mm -hmm. love those interactions. You did it for yourself. You graduated. What what was the what did you do between I guess London. I guess McMaster granted your degree, or did London or did Western? It was grant? McMaster that granted my degree, right. um, and then you know we had to do things like get married. He had been patiently waiting for me, um, so we got married. And during our honeymoon, an opportunity came up to teach in the midwifery department here at Ryerson. And so I was, I was on my honeymoon. I took a Zoom meeting and did my interview, um, teaching life sciences for midwifery. And the reason why midwifery, I ended up being in that little niche, was because, so I told you that I wanted to go into pediatrics, right? Um, so I focused all my extracurriculars on women and children. And at some point, actually it was between third and fourth year that I went to Tanzania. And because I had nursing background, uh, I ended up helping in the hospitals, including delivery. So it was as if all my life experiences were coming down to this one moment of teaching, like getting my foot in the door. Yeah, it was um, perfect, perfect coalescence. You would have had to have said no like you would have had to really tell the universe, no universe, I don't want to be happy. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> so because of that, uh, I got into teaching and then with some of that experience, I ended up getting an LTF position. Perfect. So you, Ryerson was your first stop after your PhD yeah. uh, in terms of job. That's awesome. That's a great story. And, and so um, how long is your current contract, your LTF contract? Three years? Uh, no, one year. So I'm, I'm in the midst of applying. You what, sir? I'm in the, I, I have applied. 
I'm oh, really okay. hoping they pick me. I, I, I hope so too, because you are such a wonderful community member in, in our department that, and, and a new community member, a friendly face and somebody who is always willing to engage and, and share with us. And so, yeah, I hope they do too. I thought, I, for whatever reason, I thought it was like a three-year deal, for, but well, it's one year. Uh, because it, it, it's a union thing where sure. they needed us to reapply, so that's fine. But I really, um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to come back here was because this is home. Ryerson you know, is home. Ryerson is home. I, I have fond memories here. And I actually think the level of instruction, I mean, I've been to like, I've been to many universities now and have been involved in learning and teaching. Um, and the level of instruction and the education that I received here at Ryerson, I couldn't, I speak very highly of. It was, it was such a fantastic opportunity to be able to come back and teach here. Yeah, very cool stuff. So um, let's, let's just change the pace. And I, I want to come back to this idea of precarious work in a, in a second. But let's, let's talk about what did you like best about your job? Working with students, affecting, inspiring, helping students. Like it's the moments where I have students that come to my office or like I usually spend at least half an hour to an hour after each of my classes chit-chatting with my students and helping them see, you know, what's beyond school, what's important and um, sharing my story with them. And so cool. I really like that. The second thing is that, and one of the reasons why I wanted to be a prop was because I got to make really nerdy jokes and people have to laugh at them. <laughs> you're in you're in a position of power where you get to be a true nerd okay so what do you what do you what do you like least about your job oh um making sitting in my office making lectures Which, why is it the sitting part or the making lectures you don't like it is the being alone in my office for hours and hours and hours. So I was teaching three courses or two and a half, but um, I was teaching biochem proteins and proteomics, biochem protein or sorry, uh, protein structure function and first year bio second semester. So that's a lot, right? So that's a lot of time for me making lectures and it gets very lonely for me. And I told you that um, I didn't want to become a scientist because I was afraid of being alone at the bench for hours and hours. I am a true extrovert and being locked in my office uh, and because I work, I'm in Victoria building and having no one to talk to. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lonely it's a lonely ghost town that's it I, is. I, it's a, I and i you are definitely an extrovert that was gonna be one of my questions but you answered that what inspires you the most about your job the students knowing also that not. so there's there's this um there is this one quote i really like i can't remember who said it but it says it's a, from a um was an astronaut and she said I touch the future I teach. That's and a nice, it's very poetic. Yeah, and so being able to do that. So there were two things that I wanted in my life. And obviously, like, yes, I wanted to be a doctor, but one was to be a good mother. We're still waiting for that one. But one was to be a good mother, and the second one was to make an impact 
and this is your chance to do that. Yeah, and so by teaching here at Ryerson, I really do believe that I can make an impact on the lives of students. Um, I believe I've actually seen you do it very energetically. <laughs> In fact, because I got to witness <laughs> one of your first year lectures this semester, just before we had our unscheduled break. Um, okay, so what? Let's let's come back to this precarious work. How does that make you feel? There's a lot of uncertainty about it. I used to, it was difficult. It's, it, it is difficult no, not knowing where you're going to be the next year, right? I've learned to reframe it. That every, um, I just, just generally live by the philosophy that every, thing you do is a learning opportunity. Every failure you have, um, every opportunity, um, whatever it is, is a learning opportunity. Um, and I say fail hard, fail fast. Um, just get up. And the other cliche is when one door closes, one door opens, right? Another yes. door opens. And so, well, actually, you should always leave your doors open. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, you should, but, but yes. opportunity isn't always like that. Yes, and so I am confident that I will be able to find something else. And I think that there's, um, especially as a female, sometimes it feels like the world makes you feel very insecure. You know, your, your hair isn't good enough, your face isn't good enough, your clothes aren't good enough. And so there's a lot of insecurities that subconsciously can kind of creep in. Um, and so the feeling of I am good enough is kind of trained out of you. Um, I've learned to embrace that. That I am good enough. I am, I've worked real hard. I care a lot and I know that I am competent. And I certainly believe all those things about you too. I mean, you, you clearly are, are good enough. And, and I, and I just, it's, it, I guess it would just be one of the things I would say about this job that I, that I, that, that is nice is that from my perspective, it's, it's kind of like a perfect situation, right? Like, because I don't have to be looking for a line of work. And I mean, I, I think you're right. Definitely culture, all cultures or certainly Western cultures have definitely made looks more important than anything else <laughs> actually for some strange reason um, than actual substance but i think that it affects everybody in that regard like with not having the certainty um but i, I like that how, how i like how you frame it because because you life has already told you this right like your your story so far has been exactly that like it wasn't what i expected would happen so no. i guess it and makes so it kind of an adventure as many, like as much as I want to plan, like it would be amazing to have a planned career where I know where I'm going, right? It is hard knowing that, wondering, okay, so like right now, where am I? I want to teach. If I can continue to teach, then I will. If it can lead to a opportunity where I can teach 
for the rest of my life, that would be fantastic. And as I said, in terms of keeping those doors open, it's doing other things. Um, so it would be me following up on some of the old research that I've done so that I can continue to hopefully publish in the event that I want to do a postdoc which in my mind is less compatible with having a family, but yeah, we'll see that's, who knows what life is well, going to throw at me. Always. And, yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's change the pace a little bit here. Um, uh, what do you believe are the most important transferable skills and maybe one or two of them that you think that every student should have when they leave Ryerson and why? One is communication. I actively promote and make my students communicate because I guess, you know, what's the use of having all of this knowledge if you can't share it? When I say that silence, science is not silence. There's a lot of disinformation out there. And so we've been given the privilege to learn about science and why not contribute that? that? to the masses. So I think that being able to talk about it, not just at the academic level, but to sift through um, research, sift through the knowledge, look at it critically and break it down for other people. Um, the second thing is uh, transferable skill is to know what is relevant. And that one is hard. Like I. It's difficult for my first years. It's difficult for my fourth years. It's difficult as a PhD student to know what's relevant. But we live in a world where information is on your phone. It's like a touch of a button. You just say, okay, Google. Google just answered me. <laughs> I, I heard that in the background. <laughs> Cancel. Um, <laughs> she's going to say something. Um, but yeah, figuring out what's relevant is important. So. I try to move away from, not slides, but telling people what is important. I think that that needs to be discovered. Yes, finding the signal through the noise in a modern world in the age of information is actually really a really challenging thing to do. And um, I mean, that's that's that makes sense that you would say something like that because it's, it is, it's your life. It really, it's kind of emblematic of what you have already said. Okay, let's let's go to um, rapid fire, which are these are these are lighthearted, fun questions, um, really getting to know you a little bit more. Question one: What factoid do my colleagues know least about me? About and obviously some me. Yeah, something you're willing to share. Of course, I don't want you to. <laughs> or but you. what do they know? You. Me. Um, I have a prolific life um, before. I went down academia. I used to be an actor. Oh. I don't know. If you Actually, I didn't know. I didn't know you were an actor, but I've heard you sing, which is fantastic. I'm surprised you didn't say that, but since I've heard you sing, then I know that that's uh, okay. So you used to be an actor. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I was a professional actor for nine years. Had an entrance and all of that. Still get royalty checks. Wow. Did yeah. you, were you in anything like? that we would know? So there is this, there is one film that people, or that continues to be shown, because that's the one I get the royalty checks on. It's called Lizzie McGuire. It had Hilary Duff in it. 
Are you serious? You were in Lizzie McGuire? No, no, no. I was oh. in a movie. Or sorry, did I say Lizzie McGuire? Yes. No, sorry. Oh my gosh, what is it called? It was with the person from Lizzie McGuire. Um, was it Hilary Duff? No. It, yeah, it was with Hilary Duff, but she did a movie. Cadet Kelly, there's the word. I was in the movie, I filmed Cadet Kelly as Sergeant Grace, or sorry, Cadet Grace. So how old were you when you were an actor? Uh, I acted from grade seven to, I started at grade seven actually here at the Royal Alex. I was involved in theater, musical theater. And then I ended up acting from I think grade nine to second year in university. And you know what's really interesting? I quit acting for science. That was my Whoa. pivot point. Wow. So, that um, is cool. Yeah. Why don't, so, you, why don't you tell that more often? That's a great story. Yeah, That's a good So what's really interesting is that, so I had booked um, a bunch of things. I had a commercial and just a couple of bookings that I needed to do. And I had asked my agent, hey, is there any way that we can move it? Because I have a midterm that day and I can't make it to the shoot. He was not happy. Then afterwards I said, okay, well, uh, and no, I, we, he could not move that. And uh, it really frustrated my prof at the time. And then they, I asked him, okay, so I have lab on, these days, every other week, is it okay that you don't send me for auditions on those days? And he said straight to me, you're going to have to pick Beverly. Is it science wow. or acting? So I was like, all right, I guess I'm in it to win it. That is awesome. Okay. What famous person, current or otherwise, would you most like to go to dinner with and why? Ooh. That's hard. To go to dinner? I can tell you who I like. Sure. It could be your, it doesn't have to be the best. It could be one of your. Yeah, I, I'm going to throw up. So my, my girl crush is uh, Angelina Jolie. Um, uh. Not only do I think she's absolutely gorgeous, but I love the work outside of the, you know, outside of her career, or she's made it into a career to help others. And so her humanitarian work just, it blows my mind. And I would love to sit down and talk to her about that kind of stuff. I think that would be a really good choice. I also think that she, at least she, in, in my, my opinion or my, my of her is that she, she's a very confident woman, like in a world that maybe that's a hard thing to be. She, so it makes sense that you might would choose her because there would be that you would you would could you could talk really frankly about the world, I suspect. All right. Um on a lighter note, what is your favorite food? Watermelon. Well, Without a weird. doubt. It's not even some people say, oh no, it's like a, a cooked meal. No, no. Watermelon. <laughs> In fact, when we planned our wedding, I wanted to have watermelon as our cake. And I wanted it to be in the summer because watermelons were in season. Awesome. What is your favorite beverage? Not water. 
<laughs> but there might be water in it, right? <laughs> I actually don't like water, uh, or I don't like drinking um, beverages. Um, well, if you drink enough, a... wa eat enough watermelon, then you're fine, right? <laughs> that, exactly. That's it's totally fine. But I have a very small bladder, and so I have a thing against you know having to use the bathroom all the time. And so I, I have. My partner has tried training me to drink water, and so he'll he'll say it's magical liquid. You're gonna like it. I do know that you, you know when you um, when you when we were drinking together, you would also like whiskey. Or no, that's not true. Oh, bourbon! A, I'm a big bourbon. bourbon fan. Yes. Yeah, and that's um, a unique thing. Yeah, and it has gonna... water in it, water in it too. <laughs> yeah, 60%, I guess. Yeah, it's a 40% drink and 40% alcohol. What is your uh, favorite color? Um, probably green right now. I was going to say, because so she looks, so just so everybody knows who's listening to the podcast in her space behind her, she has a very green wall, like almost like she's on TV and that that's like the, the, the backdrop for what the display is going to be. So that, that's consistent with what I'm seeing. All right. Mm -hmm. Here's the next question. Complete this sentence. If I was not a professor at Ryerson, I would like to be an actor. Coming back full circle. Love it. Mm -hmm. Something in the top 10 of your bucket list. Um, so I'm a huge travel person. And so what would be something related to travel? So a place maybe? A place. Oh, you know what it is? I, on my bucket list is to go to the darkest place on earth or one of those kind of places and see the stars. Wow. I see. So in the middle of, so no light pollution at all, clear sky. Yeah. They have, they're called dark sanctuaries and I think one of the like one of the big ones is in Patagonia and I've heard it described as there's more light from the stars than there is dark from the night sky that would be cool I didn't stay up at night in Patagonia which I wish that I now in hindsight I would have but I could see that to be true because it was quite it's quite arid um, depending on the time of year so that's, I like that who is or was your favorite role model? When I was growing up, it was, um, her name is Leia Salonga. She's a Broadway singer. She was in Les Mis. Uh, she was the one who got me into singing. And so singing got me into acting. Acting got me into film and television. Yeah, so. Sure. Very cool. All right. So what is your greatest achievement so far? greatest i guess it's the phd i don't know i i mean that's a pretty good one the list i i would include that if i were you but there's you're just a kid so you're gonna have lots of great achievements coming forward I know. But for for now for now let's just you know, we'll, let's, we'll just do this podcast kid. again we'll do this podcast again and, and you'll have other achievements i'm sure what is your greatest failure failure sorry failure failure oh Oh, see, again, it's hard to say what a failure was because every failure has opened up an opportunity to me. So I would say my biggest failure, you know what it was? My biggest 
and, and I don't know if it was my biggest failure, but the biggest failure that I've ever had was not being able to, or not, not getting help for a mood disorder sooner. Right. Okay. Good stuff. What concerns you most? Or sorry, that, sorry that's, that's the next question. What are you most grateful for? Ooh, my family and my partner, husband. I <laughs> use okay. both. I, I, I use partner too. I think it's yes. fine. Um, yes, but I'm married to mine. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's fair. Um, what concerns you most? So what keeps you up at night? Oh, everything. <laughs> Maybe that's because you just can't sleep. Maybe you're an insomniac. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of concerning, what concerns you? I I'm I worry a lot. Um, like I'm I can be a very anxious person. A lot of it used to be around what people thought of me. Yeah, my my anxieties are again going back to that insecurity but what what do people think of me uh the hard one used to be like the thing that got me deep in the gut at least now was what do students think of me and i tried so hard that was I, that took a lot out of me trying to do everything i could to help students and feeling like i was failing at that yes. And this is a reminder to our student listeners that not to lose the handle so quickly because it can affect people that really sincerely care about their well-being in a way that they don't realize. Like if they had to rate my professor off the cuff thing because they were just upset about a silly exam or whatever, grabbing a little perspective uh, is important for everyone. That's good. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, what spot in the world do you most like traveling to? I really liked Italy. We went there for our honeymoon and that was fantastic. Where did you go? What uh, big cities in Italy did you visit? So um, my partner was on a five week sabbatical and I had finished school. So we took the five weeks backpacking across Europe and so we went to a whole bunch of places. Um, Rio Maggiore uh, or the Cinque Terre was amazing, as well as Florence. And the other place that I really liked, actually, you know where, if I could go back where I would want to go, Tanzania. So I was in Arusha, Tanzania, and I definitely left my heart there. Wait, is cool. that is that the right yeah. saying? Um, yeah, I, it's a peacefulness I that I don't. Song. Yeah, I, there's a peacefulness there that I've never experienced. Anywhere else. Yep. Very cool. So what is your most productive time of day? Mm, nighttime. Nighttime. And uh, what is not, your... Uh, it's more like um, it's from 7 until 9 and then 10. Well, it's somewhere between... Probably 8 to 1 a.m. nighttime. Okay. Uh, how many hours of sleep do you get then? Nine. Okay. What is your favorite hobby? Playing video games. Which kind of games? What kind of video games? So I was super into Zelda. Love um, Zelda. Good choice. Like, oh my gosh. And right now, um, I've been playing Animal Crossing a lot. Like, 
an absurd amount, but I think it's very appropriate for today's world. Yeah, I don't, no, I'm not judging at all. Um, what piece of advice would you give your second year self? My second year self? Yeah, or any second year self. At that point, it would have, or um, keep keep your doors open. Keep your op yep, options open. Keep awesome. Keep your options open. And so, um, you know, sometimes people think that, well, it's fine. It's good enough. Things are just good enough. But if you maintain opportunities, like if you, yeah, then if, if you were able to keep those opportunities alive, it is better to have more opportunities than less. Better I to agree. be able to pick. I completely agree. It's better that those are good problems to have. <laughs> so I have two other sections left. We're going to talk about COVID in just a second. Um, mm -hmm. But I also have a, an asked and answered session. So what I mean, so what I mean by that is students from other interviews pose a question and then I and then I share that with other people I interview that week to get their feedback. So the question this week that was posed that I'd love to hear your answer for is how do you deal with fear? I get really anxious about it. <laughs> I think about it a lot. And then I say, just do it. And um, just jump in. Just jump and in two feet. Knowing that if it sucks, then I will learn something from it, <laughs> like and, never again. And if it doesn't suck, you may have a new life direction. Yeah, I've yeah. realized that just because you feel something, it doesn't mean that it has to change what you do. It doesn't mean that you have to do something about it. And so feeling and thinking uh, are two different things. And so, you know, if you're afraid of something, how do you deal with it? It's Sometimes you just have to feel it, experience it, and then have an action afterwards. Don't necessarily keep it from you doing something. So how do you calm your anxiety about that fearful situation? Is there, or do you just let it, let it go right through you? No, it has to, I have to work it out in my body. Not necessarily by exercising, but like, it takes, usually it's talking. I, I need to talk it out. Fair enough. Good. And have someone okay. intervene and say, what you're saying doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Here's a little perspective. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about COVID. Um, what is your uh, biggest challenge so far in this COVID situation? So I have to admit that I've been pretty anxious, or I've gotten quite anxious about it. Um, so I'm Filipino, and as Filipinos, or many Filipinos are in the healthcare profession. That means that um, we know what percentage, like there's a number of people who end up with COVID because they're healthcare providers. That means that my family is, I have more family members that will be affected. And I do have family members that have been affected by this and have had COVID. And thankfully there were okay outcomes in general, although I've had family that's passed away from this. And so watching people be silly about social distancing and all of those things is really hard for me to watch. It hits me quite emotionally. 
And so because of that, um, I think it's manifested in, I know that the only thing I can do is control myself. And so part of that is that I have not left my condo for the past, uh, how long has it been? Um, since the lockdown. Like nine weeks, 10 weeks. Yeah, 10 weeks. And then the second, so first off, it had to do with, part of that was I, you know, I wanted to be able to let the numbers come down, do things that, uh, and be a model for people that, you know, this is a real serious thing. And my, again, my motivation was my family. But unfortunately, I, my fear now is, um, or my anxieties lie in being, going outside. I live in downtown Toronto and the thought of me going, walking around as a small Asian person, female by myself is nerve wracking because I've already had experience of being harassed on the street. And it's a sad reality that I, as a female, I do get harassed, right? Yeah. And, and this, uh, I think this is an important time to remind all of our listeners too, how, you know, many of us do have a lot of privilege and, and others don't just because of the way we look in terms, especially in the, these circumstances, because there seems to be a lot of bigotry going on, directing at certain groups of people right now. And it's really kind of sad and tragic because the room, we keep saying that we're in this together, but we can't be scapegoating or alienating one group of people just because of the way they look. Like this is not anyone's problem. It's everyone's problem. Um, I've, I've so, experienced racism before. I've experienced sexism and like to have that kind of come together and knowing that that's part of my lived experience, right? I think that uh, and one of the things that I hope to bring towards for the department is being able to bring that perspective that, you know, I, I understand our faculty or in, in general, academia has been, you know, academia has more non-racialized people. Um, yeah, people with more privilege in this regard for sure. Yeah. yeah. And so if I can kind of show that and, and be, kind of, and give that voice to some people. Although my voice is not the same as everybody else's. Uh, and I do recognize you, that. You have a beautiful voice and coming back to the singing as well. What, what is, what's been your silver lining though in all of this? In COVID? Yeah. Um, I get to see my family more, surprisingly. Like I connect uh, every week with my um, sisters. So one of them's in California. I didn't see her as often. Like we really didn't talk as much. So seeing my sisters as well as my mom all in one time where that used to only happen during Christmas. And so that's been fantastic. And connecting with, yeah, my silver lining is that. Wait, yeah, is my, that a, that's not a silver lining, is it? Well, you've, you've been given more time or you've been encouraged to do more of something that you kind of maybe didn't make the time for before. And that yes. tells you that it's important. And I think that anything that you were time you're reminded that something is important, that's a good silver lining. Mm-hmm. Beverly, this has been so much fun. I hope I, I hope I didn't say Bev at all until just now. Um, because I just, I realized that I always call you that. And I know you don't like being called Bev. So 
Beverly I or Dr. Buzon, I am very happy that you were able to spend the afternoon with us today. Um, and we're going to have to get you back on the pod again soon, maybe in a panel yes. or a different sort of environment where we can we can share with more people because I know you're an extrovert um, and you love being on that stage. And we're lo- we love having you on that stage with us. So thank you again for spending so much time with us today. And, and thank uh, you for yourself. having me. It was absolutely my pleasure. All right. So thanks.